Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. Sorry about the bit of the gap. It was kind of busy over the weekend at the Sniper's Hide Cup. Had a great, fun event, uh, I think. Everybody said that it was fun and had a good time. I was ROing and uh, getting my butt kicked with allergies on the mountain, man. Those, that open field and stuff, and when we were setting up, it was like the allergy storm fest. I even had some, like, Claritin, and I went and got tissues and all this. And I had competitors coming through. And one of the guys specifically was like, man, he looked bad. And I was like, hey, dude, there's Claritin and there's tissues there. And, and he's like, at first he's like, you know, I'm a little too cool for that. And then he was like, no, I think I'm going to take you up on it. I need it. And he did really well. I think he ended up coming in third, fifth, something like that overall. He was or not third, but uh, like fifth or somewhere overall. I don't have the numbers in front of me exactly. But um. Uh, congrats to Nick and Adam, Nick Gardizzi and Adam uh, Kloanger. I think that's how he says his last name. I have to look a, a little bit. But um, they shot a fantastic match. Just watching them guys uh, shoot was a, was a treat. They were smooth as glass. I mean, I it, it's like their heartbeat never got above a walk uh, for any of it. And I'm going to go over some of the stuff that I saw. Like I said, I was ROing. So it's a little bit different. The nice thing is I get to see everybody and how they attack my specific stage, but I don't really get to see the rest of the match. So that that's kind of a negative. But got out there, we finished setting up, and we had a little hiccup on the first day. We were we were short two ROs and like four pieces of glass on a Saturday morning. And then as it is, because people come and their work schedule and things changes, we actually had like two extra ROs and it was all filled in on Sunday. I mean, ROs make the match. That's the big thing. And Carl's got a great crew of ROs up there. So, um, I mean, I'm sure we could have pulled somebody in or did something. And I know some guys had volunteered. But once we got going, it was all good. Uh, everybody, you know, loves the field event style. And it's two dissimilar sides again. What we did was the rolling fields and up against one side where it's kind of a little bit more up shots. And then um, we went on the other side to the swamp where you get a bit of the little canyon and angles and things in the woods and shooting off all the natural terrain. Um, a lot of tripod stuff. If you're, if you're not bringing a good tripod to the Sniper Side Cup up there in Colville, you're, you're really not going to uh, be able to attack all the stages the way you should. To me, a tripod is the one piece of tool that you can carry and do everything with, uh, especially like with the really right stuff. And then we had a sponsored stage from Crux. Uh, we had a liaison. I don't want to out anybody Um. But we had a lot of military guys there, uh, whole groups, and they have a relationship with Crux Ordnance and Brian over there. I want to thank Brian for uh, stepping up. He gave uh, certs out for people, $200 off. You probably can call them up because I don't know if they were on the table. And I don't think people realized what they were. But um, Crux Ordnance had $200 off, and they have two different kinds of tripods. Most of you might have seen the big gimbal version of the crux ordinance at shot show a couple years ago well he has a smaller version he has a, a leveling base and a, and a small stem that is a little bit more in line with the size weight and design of the really right stuff but it is an excellent shooting tripod 
Um, I've shot off the cruxes. They're really good. The only, you know, the only one that I saw was originally was the big gimbal and it was a little too much for people to carry. It's more surveillance. It's more, you know, vehicle or building or things like that, site security. But his new one is actually quite quite small and uh, falls right in line with the really right stuff gear. I actually loaned out my really right stuff to uh, one of the junior shooters, Ben, and uh, he had forgot his tripod. So I was like, well, I got my anvil with me. Here you go. And so he shot with that. But Setting up was fairly straightforward. We spent all day Thursday setting up until about 6 o'clock at night, painting everything up and trying to make it for a practical, sporty match. And that's the thing with the Sniper's Hide Cup. We try to make it as practical as possible. Yeah, it's tripod game changer, tripod game changer. But, I mean, that's just the nature of the business when you look at the different um, terrain features you have the grass that's growing, you know, that's where the allergies come in and man, even makes recovering slow from these trips. I was kind of out of it yesterday and didn't get home until about four o'clock in the afternoon and I was going to do a podcast. I think I laid down for five minutes and, and zonked out for a little bit, uh, you know, all that, but you know, I'm back at it today. And uh, so um, we go out. We set all that up. We get it practical. We had some UK, UKD stages. We had some far stages. I think the farthest shot was 14 and change uh, on, a, on a plate. And then, you know, a lot of stuff at 1,000, 1,100. But the average range was between six and 800 yards, which is a good practical range. Mine, it's funny. I shot what, what could have been a pretty easy stage. Um, it was a 66% between the trees and a loophole and you had to shoot it from the standing i mean there was really no way to get that one target then you're going to transition think of a clock okay we're shooting 12 o'clock on the first target the second target is going to be shot at 10 o'clock you know what i mean so you're off on an angle and you're going to be now you have to transition from that loophole which was a narrow window over to an open field and there was a 66 or 100 percent ipsic so you had a 66 you had 100% IPSC at 650 yards. Then you're going to transition completely again. The first target was 680. Second one was 650. The third one was 680. And they were just off a little, like 683 and 685. You know, really small numbers, but just enough to make you, like, think about it. And uh, so then you transition 90 degrees, right? So you're shooting uh, 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock like nine o'clock on these targets. So you, you have to move to this thing. And, and this is where I, I want to talk about safety because I really tried to press home safety. We were out setting up on Thursday and some guys had called us and said, hey, um, we got guys up on the hill. Can they set up a zero target? Now there was no ROs there, no nothing, but the hill goes up pretty good and 100 yard zero target. And then there's a 800 yard confirmation target over that. And it doesn't interfere with our setup. So we said, yeah, guys, you can go up there and you can zero, you can set up as people started coming in. Well, as I'm coming back, I got a report from one of the listeners, one of the members that muzzle discipline, and I saw this and I want to talk about it. Muzzle discipline was pretty atrocious on that zero range that people weren't paying attention to where other people were. There was a lot of suitcase carry, a lot of stuff like that. So on Saturday morning when we did the safety brief, I gave the brief and basically told them, you know, hey, 
This is not acceptable. You got to watch this. And I saw it myself. I mean, it's not. And it wasn't the shooter all the time. Here's the thing. This is what it's situational awareness, not only by the guy with the rifle in his hand, but his partner, because this was a team and individual match. This was my first time doing a match. And this was Clint Sharp, RTC, the Rifleman's Team Challenge League up there. His Karstetter match. And he does a lot of charity matches up there. And I believe the Karstetter is one of them. You can sign up as an individual. And you can sign up as a team. So we run them together. And it worked out really well. I like that format. Now, my learning thing is... We had six minutes for a team, three minutes for an individual. You actually need like 5.30 for the team and four minutes or 3.30 for the individual. I think 3.30, would be the perfect crunch of time and effort for both. The, um, the individual had to be shit hot to make it in three minutes because they don't have the help, right? And, and there is a trick to doing it like Steve Lemieux, uh, Canada, oh, Canada, little Tink Tink up there with the Insight guy. Steve's a great dude, good shooter, experienced. I told, I said to him, I said, hey, man, this is the probably the most efficient way I've seen guys doing it. He did it. He had a great score, great hits within time by himself, okay? So it was definitely doable. The, 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 the thing is, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later after safety, match efficiency, and we had lots of conversations with guys about being efficient. Like I said, Nick and Adam, Nick and Adam were super efficient. Okay, they're from that Northwest area. They they live right outside of there. I know Nick shoots with Carl all the time. Uh, you know, Nick's a competitor. Adam's a competitor. They're they're low key dudes, but they're they're definitely on top of their game because their efficiency. Like I said, their heartbeat never got above a walking pace. Where you see other people getting tangled in with each other with the loophole. Okay. The loophole window was small. So trying to crush two guys in on two tripods and all that was not a practical way of doing it. And the other thing that I noticed guys trying to set their shit up with either their rifle in their hand or their rifle already on the tripod. They're trying to adjust it and do it. Dude, Put your rifle down, go up, and, and even trying to explain to somebody, hey, you can set, because of the way the timing was, I would have had you deploy on the clock. Tripod should have been deployed on the clock. If we did a four-minute, six-minute, everybody would have deployed tripod on the clock. But because it was three and six, I saw the timing was tight for the individual, so I couldn't deploy them on the clock, so I didn't deploy the team on the clock. But that's how this should be going, Okay. And, and again, first time for me seeing it, first time understanding how that, that format works. Uh, it, 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 was, it was great to experience it from my perspective. So what I saw was like a guy, one of your teammates setting his stuff up and doing his thing. And the next thing you know, you got like his teammate walking in front of him. You know, guys were crossing each other's. And I had to tell people all the time. Don't cross the streams, man. Don't cross your streams. Don't do this. Trying to explain, because when you had pair firing going, think about this, okay? If shooter one's on the right, shooter two's on the left, and we're shooting at 12 o'clock, 
Then we're going to angle to 10 o'clock. So shooter one, shooter two. Shooter one fires his three rounds, and now shooter two's going to go. Well, what's shooter one immediately going to do? Transition to the third target, which is at 9 o'clock. What does that do? Crosses right in front of or next to, kind of crosses in front of his partner. No situational awareness. And this was kind of what... I was explained at the 100-yard range that guys act like they're the only one out there. Muzzle awareness, muzzle awareness, muzzle awareness, man. You get this, I I really, I mean, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this clear right now. About 25%. It wasn't 75. It wasn't a big number, but it's noticeable. 25% easily did not understand where they were or where their muzzle was doing in relationship to their partner and to others around them. They act like they're the only one on the range. And I don't care if they didn't, like, it was another amazing thing is I made them start from standing next to me, bolt back mag out, okay? That was my stage. Bolt, and everybody wanted to stage their shit. It's like they, they want to do whatever, Ever is the like the least amount of weapons handling as possible, but their weapons handling suffers. And so I really think we need guys to get more on top of stuff when it comes to match safety. This is a field course. It's not a lane, okay? I was like all out by myself. You had five yards, like a five-yard circle to work within. Okay, I wasn't making it where you had to touch the stake or do anything like that. You have a five-yard circle to work in, and you're tripping over each other. Okay, if you work with a partner, choreograph it. Learn to understand. This is going here. This is going here. When we move, we have to move together. But that, I mean, I I, I guess on the mover stage or down by Ken Hagen's stage, they 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 had to um DQ a team for an ND, which is hey. That we, we explained that up front, man. I don't know what team it was or what. I didn't even ask. I heard about it like Sunday night because um, nobody, you know, like I said, I'm working a stage the same as anybody else. So I wasn't necessarily up on comms or driving around doing anything. But we did, and the ND was downrange. It was, they, they went to the gun is how I was told. Before they were on it, they launched one off towards the targets, but not on the rifle. Very similar to what we've seen in these videos. And I don't care if it is downrange. You torched one off without, you know, touching on the trigger. So I didn't see it. But yeah, Chris and those guys had told me about the weapons handling. So I I did a little extra bit in the safety brief that morning. And I think it worked. But guys, you just got, and girls, you just got to watch your muzzles. You have to watch the where your partner is, what's going on. I mean, it was like a... A perfect storm. I it, it, the second to the last stage. Okay, we, match is almost over. It was my second to the last squad, and I get a call on the radio from Clint, and I'm on glass. My stage already started. The clock's running. I'm by myself. You know, I don't have any other RO help. Nobody scoring for me. Practice score was weird, but we were working with it, and um, so. Clint's on the radio, so I said to one of the competitors, tell Clint I'm on, you know, I'm on the, the stage, I'm on glass. 
And as he's picking up the radio to talk to Clint, Clint's rolling behind me on the four-wheeler to say he's going down to the corrals to do scores and to get everything set up because he was pretty much rounds out and he was finished. I was finishing my last two squads. Well, we had exactly that. We had one, you know, we had shooter uh, shooter one uh, turn 90 degrees over the top of shooter two. And it was like, whoa, 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 no. And, and you know, shooter two was kneeling. Shooter one had his tripod still on the standing. You know what I mean? And so it, it was under, they were under and over. And I was like, stop, back up, readjust, you know. So it's a time thing. It's not really, I, I caught it ahead. But it's a muzzle awareness. All, all it would take would be shooter two there who was kneeling to stand up. And they're, you know, head in the muzzle. So it was like, ah, stop, what are you doing? Fix this before you go any further. And they did. It was, it was, it was something. But it was that perfect storm of getting called on the radio. Try, you know, it's like, hey, Frank, hey, Frank, hey, Frank. Then the four-wheeler pulling up, hey, Frank, hey, Frank. And you're the only RO out there. And you're trying to make sure you're spotting because they're in their cycle. You know, it's not a case you don't want to stop people once the clock starts and restart them, I could easily just cease fired, answered Clint, and then started them over. But you don't know round count. You don't know what's going on. So you kind of want them people to play through. As it was early in the morning, we had a couple fogs come through. And we're like, okay, clear. They start shooting one. They start shooting two. They transition to three. And there was another fog bank there. you know. And so it was like, oh, shoot. Stop the clock. Okay, wait here. Fog cleared, now shoot your last target. And and that takes people out of their groove. And I get that. I mean, not that it's that big a deal, but it is. And, uh, you know, from my perspective looking at it. But, man, I just wanted to say, guys got to be much more. The other thing that really bugged me, and, and, you know, I don't know. I think I should talk to him a little bit about it. One of the guys was using one of those around-the-action scope carrying handle tools. I'm pretty sure it was an Armageddon gear. It, it wraps around the rifle, and it's a suitcase carry thing. It's like no suitcase carry. And what do they sell? A product that suitcase carries. And here comes a guy walking towards you. Now I get it. There, it's it, it, He's on a handle. It's almost like it's in a bag. But it's not. You can't see it. You can't tell what's going on because it covers the action. You know, but you still have a guy coming towards you. In a suitcase carry on a thing, and I'm not a fan of it, man. I, I use a sling, put it on your back, you know. That way, there, I'm not looking as a team's coming over a hill and I see a guy with a suitcase carry with a muzzle pointed at me, you know. But uh, it's a product. What do you do? Hey, dude, you can't use that product. Well, after he's been using it, because he may come to my stage, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, he's been using it all day. And what do you do? You know, I don't know every single product out there to say ahead of time. You know, I did say no suitcase carry, but then somebody guy gets a product that's designed for a suitcase carry. And 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 that not a fan, man. I I tell you just from that aspect of things, I was kind of the first day I was thinking like, I'm not a fan of these these matches are turning you know, I don't want to say dangerous. That's a bad word scary okay you know it, it's a little bit off-putting you're like I felt 
in my limited access, I had to be a little more vigilant than I normally would in the past. That was my thinking on the safety aspect of it. And I think the matches and certain things and, and, you know, it's not necessarily, like I said, it's not the match. I mean, we have a staging area that to ground your rifle and put it safe. We have that. It's the, it's the in-betweens that guys just trying to do too much with their rifle in hand. I mean, even it's like ground your shit and go there. Okay. Next team on deck, come on up, set your tripods up. They're trying to come up and set their tripods up with their rifle in their hand. And it's like, no, go put your rifle down. You're going to start with your rifle in your hand here. But most people are defaulting to carry that rifle up because they're under the impression they're going to, you know, um, pre-stage the rifle in a way. At least that's kind of how I, I got it. And we really didn't have a metric ton of new shooters. We ended up with 55 teams and 25 individuals. Okay, so um, roughly 135 shooters. And it wasn't a huge, huge crew of new shooters. It was just people not being warned, not being told don't do that for time and time. Because I noticed the difference from last year to this year. Okay, and all that tells me is that you're being conditioned to not think about it. That's not cool, man. That's not cool. Uh, uh, I don't know what they're doing in some of the other places, but I know what they're doing. Like us, we were short ROs, okay? So we couldn't put two or three ROs on a stage like we normally do. I mean, normally Carl's crew out there has a lot of ROs. You know, it, it might be a kid keeping score with the parents, you know, on the glass or something. But there's not enough range officers to impress the safety between movement, you know. And it's the between times. It's not on the stage. It's not while they're shooting other than, like I said, that crossing the stream and not having the proper situational awareness. But that was whether it was the guy with a rifle in his hand or his partner or somebody without one who's just crossing in front of him. It's like, why would you walk on that side of somebody, dude? Stay over here. And, and, and it was weird. Part of it was picking up brass. You know, a lot of guys digging for their brass. So as one team's coming up to set up, guys are going back and forth to drop their gear back on the, on the safety line where we have our muzzles pointed. So they'll bring their rifle off, they'll ground it. Then they come back when the other guy's trying to set up and they're looking for their brass, you know? So it's like if a guy goes and carries his rifle up and you're trying to say, no, go put your rifle over there, you're going to start from this position, there's already somebody in front of them looking for their brass. And part of that brass, because of the way we eject, goes forward, okay? So they go forward of the stake, And that, to me, turns into the problem. It's that hunt for brass. It's the no situational awareness. And, you know, but overall, it was a good match, man. I I really enjoyed it. It's a field match. It should be, in my mind, easier. And in my mind, I felt I had to work harder in reflection. And so that, to me, is not so much like what was established, but what the competitors thought they can do and where the competitors weren't necessarily thinking about it, you know? But, um, nah, it was, it was, uh, 
It was great seeing everybody. Like I said, we had Nick and Adam won, and then Phil Vallejo and Bo came in second. It was great visiting with Phil and Bo. Uh, Bo's who I didn't want to, I didn't do any podcasting out there. I didn't want to be that guy, especially with the number of active duty guys. And Bo is somebody I did want to talk to. Maybe I can get him to call in, uh, although I got class this week. Um, I know I'm going to get Phil to call in uh, tomorrow. Phil's going to call me, and we're going to do a podcast about his perspective in seeing it. But um, it, it, it was definitely one of those things where it was great seeing Phil and Bo. And then, like I said, uh, Piper Corson was the individual winner. He shot really well when I saw him. I, I mean, I like seeing names that you're not used to. Nick and Adam are, are well-known within the PRS NRL community in that area. Phil and Bo are well-known. But you don't really hear Piper Corson as much. You know what I mean? And so that was a great thing to see who was up there in the individual side of things and, and what they were doing. But nobody cleaned my stage. Nine shots, a 66 at 680, a uh, 100% at 650, and a uh, 100% at 680. Nobody cleaned my stage. We had two teams that shot a, a 35 versus a 36. But again, wasn't cleaned, and it was a big target, you know what I mean, in the field. And it's just that efficiency. And that's a big thing I want to talk about is the movement and the efficiency into position, out of position, okay? How well, how, you know, easy you can move in, get those shots off and move out. Now, the thing with a sniper's hide matching up there in Colville we don't give you a match booklet. There's no ranges given. It's find it, range it, engage it. Okay, you can use a laser. I think the only one they, they didn't have you use a laser on is the UKDs, and I don't know how they ran them. I'm not sure. I think you had to range those. Um, so it was a case where what is the most efficient way? Now, big plug to SIG. The guys who were using the SIG systems seem to be super efficient and it's cool because I go in the airport yesterday and I meet a former student one of the guys shooting the match and D Benedetto and um you know I see him so I'm getting his perspective and he was talking about you know some of the the, the back and forth and and with a new partner he's a newer shooter his partner you know they put each other together so they're not on a rhythm it's about working with your partner. It's, it's shoot, move, communicate, communicate, communicate. That's what I'm doing right now, right? And that's the big thing is that you want to be able to communicate in teams that communicated, teams that spelled it out. I'm going here. You're going here. I'm going this. You're doing that. And then we're going to choreograph it from A to B to C. That makes them efficient. Okay, the best way to attack my stage, put a tripod in the standing that works for both of you. Put a tripod in the kneeling, okay, or sitting because you got to shoot over the grass. So go up, shooter one goes to, right, range the first target. Boom. And then in, in, in with teams, man, this is, this is the, the key secret to guys because there's guys out there in teams, new shooters who don't understand this. You got a 6.5, you got a 3.08. Well, now you need two sets of numbers, okay? But if you got a guy who's like the good, you know, the better teams shooting the same caliber with each other, six millimeter, six five Creed, whatever the case may be, 
We have the same rifle. And you would hear them say, okay, we need 3.5 mils on the gun, 3.4 for yours. Okay? So they're using one number, one range. You know what I mean? Because they have similar dope. It's not looking up dope. It's not trying to read it. And the SIG systems giving you numbers really, really helped these guys. The, the most crowing I heard for, for our match, because you got to find them, you got to range them, and you got to engage them. And now they stand out, but it's a lot, a lot of field, man. So, you, you know, I pointed out, there it is, there it is, there it is. You see them? Yep, I see them. Now you get to the line, you call up, or the, the clock goes off, you run up. Now your perspective is off just enough. You got to find them again. And range them. Okay. Do you want to use a five power monocular or maybe a 10 power binos? The SIG 3000 BDX really worked for guys in the laser bino area. Okay. Because they were able to find them with the laser. You could do it with the Shirovsky, but the BDX gave them their number in there. And they shared that number. And guys were telling me it increased their efficiency to the nth degree. You know what I mean? So you come up, you got binos, man. You got bino vision. And then you go and you laze it. You got a number. Your partner can scrawl the number down. Boom. Next one. Next one. What I found worked best. One tripod. Shooter one comes up, ranges the target over the top of the scope, gets his number. He goes to gun and shoots. Now, while he's shooting... Shooter two can either laser target one and target or target two and target three, or when one comes off and goes to the other one, he can then range the other two while shooter one's shooting. But it's a dance, it's a coordination, okay? It's efficiency. Then it's you can either bring break down that first tripod because you had time to knock it down to the sitting and move it, but ground your rifle, you know, and it's like. Target shooter one shoots. He goes to that kneeling tripod. He lases and lases. Shooter two is going to shoot target one. I have to move to the next target. So you got to wait for me to acquire it, right? So while shooter one's waiting for me to acquire, because he's already on the target and ready to go on target two, I come down and I acquire shooter two can then laze the other target or reduce that tripod down to a kneeling for him. And while one's shooting, two just changes the tripod to a sitting. Prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Know where it needs to be for that position. Deploy it quickly. He gets on the gun. And then when we're all ready, you got plenty of time and you can both in coordination with each other, not crossing the streams, Transition to target three, finish up it. I mean, the average team was finishing within 45 seconds of time, okay? That was average. If you came close to the time, uh, you got to work on your movement and coordination. Now, like I said, Steve, uh, who had the best score on my stage as an individual, what he did is standing. Don't try to change. And you yes. Target two and target three are best shot from a sitting or kneeling position, but you don't have time to do it. So shoot one, make the smallest movement as you can to transition to two. Smallest movement as you can, which is just rotating the tripod in your position behind it to target three. 
he finished with like 10 seconds left. Okay. That in, in, uh, we get it, man. The individual times were a little too tight. They needed three thirty at the minimum, but they got three minutes, you know, and, and that's just the nature of the game. Like I said, I'd never shot anything like that and, and didn't realize where that was, but I mean, it is what it is. And so, we go over and, and he shoots that and he does a really great job on that stage. You know, it's 680 on a full size Ipsic. Don't let it get in your head. Now, here's the thing with the grass and the way things are. I mean, the target two was definitely look full size. Target three was about half because it's in the grass, but it's still there. Okay. Carl's well known for using a full size Ipsic that you could barely see. You know, it's corners and pieces and things like that because it's being not always physically blocked or, you know, like a, a, a barrier you can't shoot through, like a stump or a log. Sometimes it might be grass and reeds, like the one we put in the swamp. We walked out into a swamp and stuck a, a target there where it was just head and shoulders over the reeds, okay? Another one we did, um, they called it headshot. It's a 66 percenter coming down the backside of a little hill. So all you see is the top of the shoulders in the head, you know, so you're going to drop it into it. But you could still hit that stuff because they're not against the hill. They're back a little bit. And, and, and it's fun, you know, just adjusting setup on targets. And that's the benefit of a field course. You know, you don't have a burn behind you. What screwed everybody on the full size? Oh, man, I got to talk wind strategy in a minute. What screwed everybody on the um, on my stage? We had wind, 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 wind. And they misdoped and misunderstood. The first day especially, we had stronger wind. On the 600-yard target, or 680, you needed as much as 1.2 mil of wind with even the, 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 the wind cheaters, okay? 1.2 mil of wind. And everybody's strategy was edge of plate, see what happens. Edge of plate. Now, there was a couple guys that knew, and the Army dudes were like the best at actually, because they're shooting 308s. They were actually the best at doping the wind up front. They were acknowledging wind immediately, for all the competitors who thought they had a wind cheater and weren't used to any kind of wind like that, they it was an afterthought. It was, what are you going to do in the wind? I'm just going to hold edge of plate and see what happens. And it's like, that's like the last thing they're mentioning. And it's like, dude, there's wind out here. Some of them misdiagnosed it coming behind us. It's like, nope, it's not coming behind us. It's coming across from the left, right? And what happens is edge of plate, they miss off that mill. Then they go a half, not a full. They don't read it right because they just kind of catch where they're at. And they incrementally move it to the downwind edge. Miss off the edge. So the first shot goes a mill off. The second shot is like two tenths off. The third shot hits the target. That was the win strategy for the majority of people. You get three points for a first round hit, two points for a second round hit, one point for a third. You blew the big thing because win was an afterthought. I was like, no, what are you guys doing? Edge of plate, you feel the wind. It's there. 
How could you consider an edge of plate under these conditions? And again, 600 yards with a 585 BC with the win that we had would have been at a minimum of a 0.8. A minimum, if you did your numbers right, if you looked at the miles per hour gun you have, 5.8 mile an hour win, we were just a little over that, about 8 to 10, right? 8 was a pretty good average to where it metered out for us. So you got a you got a five to six mile an hour gun with an eight mile an hour wind and you're holding edge of plate. It was like, okay, what about these gusts? You could feel them, you know what I mean? And and nobody looked at that. You know, very few pulled the kestrel out because their strategy was edge of plate. Let's just go edge of plate. And I was like, oh my God, the number of edge of plates was crazy. And what they're looking for is the caliber to met to take up the error. I'm not going to worry about the wind. I'll see it because my gun weighs 20 pounds and it don't move and I got a straight taper and I'm shooting a six millimeter. But guess what? Target three is in the bushes, in the grass. You'll see next to nothing. You're not going to see where you missed. It's going to get sucked right into all of that shit. It was thick as shit. When we went, we had to go pull that. We had to pull all the full-size zip six on Sunday night because Carl had the military guys do a thing on all week today. So they needed the full-sizers for them. So when I went up there to go get that target on Sunday night, it was like up to my waist in like thicket stuff. You know what I mean? It was like in the middle of this crap. You don't see it. Without an effective win model, win formula, win, you know, win strategy, I guess is the better word, Without an effective win strategy, there was no way you were going to get those points and hits. And depending on your caliber is definitely not the way to go with something like this. You cannot depend on your rifle to do the work for you when you're just ignoring the win. WTF, win trajectory fundamentals. This was T and W and forget the F. They dialed, I got the range. They dialed on their dope, and then it was like, oh, gee, maybe we should do something. And usually it was like, gee, should we do something about the wind? Because we'd get like that 10 or 12 mile an hour gust, and they'd feel it. Like, boom, it hit them. And, and then, you know, like I said, I heard guys, oh, it's behind us. It's straight behind us. Dude, we're doing 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock. How is it straight behind all of them? It might have felt straight behind you at your firing position, but it wasn't going right down the pipe. Now, sometimes it did on day two. Day two changed. The wind came from the opposite direction. You know, so day one, wind had nine, from nine o'clock. Day two, wind was from three o'clock. And it translated where, you know, like the, the second target, people were hitting the most because the wind was almost, you know, no wind on the second target. So you had wind on the first, no wind on the second, wind on the third, you know, and you have to look at that stuff. What is the win strategy? What are we going to do? And it needs to be more than edge of plate. Especially, like I said, my targets were big. Some of the targets on the other side weren't so big. I painted them and set them up. There was some small targets, a lot of 45 percenters, you know. And so there you can't see even less because of the way the canyons work. you got to look for indicators while you're waiting. And you have to have a win strategy. 
I, I was amazed at how many people did not have any kind of wind strategy in a field course with wind. You know, it, it, it was nuts. But deficiency, man. Binoculars. Binoculars are your best bet to find it, whether they're smaller, compact ones. Then having that laser and being able to use your lasers and trading off. Lace target one, shoot target one. When you're transitioning to, you know, uh, the guys, go over and, you know, go get two and three while your next shooter's getting one. But be methodical. Think about the order in which you're going to attack this problem. That's the key thing, man. That's the most important part of this is, is looking at things from that perspective. And I don't think people did. I mean, the shooting-wise, like I said, I had... 600, just over 600, less than 700 yards with two full-size Zipsix and nobody cleaned it. That should be the clue right there. And it was, you know, the 66er was standing off a tripod. Then you had kneeling or sitting off tripods on full-size. Mm, I don't know, man. It, it's, it's, it was tough. But, I mean, overall, it was a good match. Everybody had a great time. Pig Rose, thanks to Dallas and his family, Samantha there. Everybody, we, we had a pig roast on Saturday night. Awesome. Pig was delicious. We had a great time. Everybody hung out. Um, They cooked the pig from Friday night all the way through. Saturday, when it was all over, we went down into the corrals. We had the pig. I think it started raining about 8. So everybody was pretty much done by 8 o'clock and out of there because it started. To, it rained on Saturday night overnight. It didn't rain on us. Um, on it, I think we had a little spittle, uh, uh, like one leftover cloud came through. But take a look at the pictures. A lot of great stuff on Facebook. I'm going to bring them over to Sniper's Hide. Once I'm done with this, I'm going to make a post. I'll probably yank some stuff over and um, bring it to, uh, to Sniper's Hide for people to see. But the guys took some really good pictures. Everybody, I mean, it seemed like from my, my um, feedback, everybody had a really good time. And, and, and that's awesome that guys really like that format of match. Guys really like the course of fire. You know, it, it, other than that, that hiccup start on, um, on side A, uh, B. Side B uh, started. We started a little late. Uh, we weren't in a big rush. We started a little late on Saturday morning, like we said, just doing some finalizing, getting our rows and coordinated because people do show up a little bit last minute for that. Um, so we, we had a little late start on Saturday. But Sunday, we started early, flowed, and we were done. Scores were in by like 3.30, and everything was all set, and guys got off. Not a crazy prize table. I, I only brought up, um, I, we gave cash. Over $5,000 went back to the competitors in rewarding first, second, and third for team and first, second, and third for um, individuals. So those guys all got a good chunk of cash that was over 5000 in prize money. So nice. They don't have to go and sell anything. They got the cash right up front. And uh, I think that worked out well. The the third place guy got his money back. You know, that kind of thing. So uh, if you came in third place, you, you earned all your money back that you paid as far as entry fee goes. Then the other ones got double, triple, and so on. Um, that kind of way. But we had a, uh, we had a small price table. I want to thank Leopold. Leupold, people, people, somebody bitched about my pronunciation of shit. I'm a fucking from the East Coast, dude. I talk like shit. You know, I got accents. 
But uh, anyway, uh, Liverpool, thank you guys. They gave a Mark Five on the table. MDT, huge, man. That's MDT's backyard. MDT was awesome. Big teams there, a lot of representation. I really dug watching the MDT people shoot. Um, There was a team. One of the MDT teams was the closest to cleaning my stage. That was a 35. So they shot really great. Um, I, I dig having them. Josh and everybody, thank you for coming out and, and supporting the match like that. I didn't go. I don't. I'm beyond the prize table thing. I'm done with it. But, you know, people come and bring stuff. Again, so MDT, Crux Ordinance, Leopold, Insight guys. Uh, Harley and Andy from Canada came down. They dropped off a bunch of heathen breaks and some T-shirts. Always awesome to see them. You know, there was some some little things on the table with guys that are there, but I, I don't. I'm not seeking it out. It's not about that. You know what I mean? And and I don't. I, I'm just over it. Uh, so that that's kind of the big thing. Is like I'd rather. I'm putting my money back. I'm not taking anything out of it. So anything that I would have made in terms of technically profit is back to the competitors and the cash prize out. So um, I'm not digging into that coffer and saying, well, Frank's got to get paid. Frank can get paid in three years, man. So don't sweat it um, for that. So that's what I've been doing since this whole thing is, is been doing the cash uh, money back and, and not sweating it. But uh, nah, man, it, it was it was a really really good time from that. We uh we flowed really well. We, I saw some really good shooting, some guys get making some really good shots on that from those positions. Guys that were efficient. It was a treat to see when somebody worked well together. You know, when a team worked well, or when an individual came through and was smooth. You know, smooth is the key. Uh, you watch Adam and Nick, they. They look like they're moving in slow motion. Excuse me. You would swear these two guys, if you're watching them from behind, they're going to time out. But they're hitting. And it's funny, too. We had two teams that got a 35. Max points was 36. Well, they only got a 30, you know, but they're way up there and they're consistent like that. They may not be nailing every single shot. But what they nail, they maximize their points, and then they know when to speed up and slow down, but they, they're they smooth. And so it's like, okay, max a 35, they get a 30. Um, Phil and Bo got a 28, you know, with a max of 36, rather. But the high scores were 35, and there was two teams that did that. And, and they were up there in the top 10, but at the same time, it just goes to show you how that rhythm really pays off. And then you can drop a point or two. You don't want to, but you can. And the key element is moving up, getting in, getting out, going to the next position. Moving up, getting in, getting out, and going to the next position. Ranging, I saw guys in um, you know the lesser teams waste as much as two minutes trying to get a range before their first shot ever went off. That's that's the negative side of this, okay? You only had to range three targets, and you're using two minutes. I'm letting you pre-stage your tripod, okay? In two minutes to get a shot off. So you got a six-minute stage, and you wasted two minutes trying to figure out how far they are. 
And, and, and they weren't tricky other than that first one. The first one was because it's through the trees, through a loophole. But after that, they're out in the open. You know, other than the two was definitely in the middle of nothing. And three was in those bushes on the corner. So it was partially obscured, but it's still, you know, not. And it's only 680 yards. So that was kind of an interesting thing that they didn't have a plan, a method. They weren't efficient in it. So if you want a practice point, practice not shooting. Practice moving forward. Practice coming back. Practice setting up your tripod. Practice coming off. And it's not just on. You got to come off. I saw, like I said, I saw a bunch of guys trying to readjust the tripod with the rifle on it. Okay, that's that situational awareness, man. It's like, how can you be safe and efficient trying to change the height on your tripod with a rifle sitting on top of it? It's one lever to get it off. Throw it, take it off, put it down, safe direction. Tripod, set it up, get it where you need, look over the top of it, pick up your rifle, put it on, engage the target. It makes you so much more efficient because you're trying to balance by not throwing it over, not fighting with your rifle, not flagging everybody or tipping backwards or whatever direction. And then you have a partner up there. So you got to not flag him. You know, be aware of your muzzle. Be aware of the condition of your rifle. Understand where your partner is in a team situation. No, I mean, even in something else, look at the window you're operating in that's a safety fan, okay? Out there, we had an enormous safety fan. But that didn't mean people weren't, like, swinging to the edges, you know? And that's just not how that's supposed to go, man. I think we need to put a lot more emphasis on weapons handling, walking to and from stages, and not just at the stage, Where you go, and when you see everybody set up, don't set up opposite. You see four rifles lined up. And what you're doing is putting your rifle in a different place. It's like, okay, I'm the only RO, and this is, you know, again, this is that thing. Where I said to, on the second day, I made sure I say, every competitor is a safety officer. Every single person, if you see an unsafe condition, say something. But what you want to do is you want to say, Yeah, we lined up these three rifles are here. Two more guys are coming across. Put your rifles next to the rest. You don't need a personal invitation and don't go bring them all the way up and then point them down behind the guy that's already on the line. You know what I mean? There's a safe direction. We we make sure we point it like that. And and we add a lot of that. I could have put them on either side and, um, you know, it would have been fine. It wouldn't have been because I was out on a finger all by myself. I was on the backside of a hill. I had almost 360 degrees, you know, not quite, but close enough of where you would have been able to put your stuff. But it was that moving from a stage to a stage with the suitcase carry and the handles. And I get it, man. It's a product. Wasn't a fan, but I saw it. And then um, some others. And I'm being hypercritical. It wasn't that bad. I wasn't chewing people out. I wasn't warning people. And, you know, it was just... Hey, do this. But it's something in my mind that should have been easy to see. It should have been something that was, you know, common sense, I guess, is what I'm looking for, the word I'm trying to hunt for. But no, I want to thank Carl Taylor, Clint Sharp, 
All the people up in Colville, the crew, Andy at Uncle Benny's Hotel, the Colville Inn, always treat us really right. Um, everybody who stepped up, like I said, the, the ROs that we had, and even the second day when we were heavy on them again, you know, thank you, ROs, make the match. You guys are, like, really appreciated. And, uh, for the little bit of prize table that I did have, I, I had, raise your hand if you're a new shooter and never shot a match like this before. Hands go up. All right, you get the prize table. Nobody, you know, so I did that. Um, that was who I let go to the prize table. I want to thank all the military guys that were there, um, you know, to take their time and come in. We had a lot of them. Serge and George came in third. That's who that third place was. Thanks to Serge is one of the guys doing this. Everyday sniper, snipers hide uh, mugs, the uh, the hot cold coffee mug that we have the that you can get on sniper's hide. Serge says he has 30 left. So uh, Serge is doing the mugs with the, the black mug with the silver lasering. That looks really cool. So if you want a mug, you can go into Sniper's Hide in the SH Swag. I'll make another post of it this week. But um, Serge and those guys, it was great hanging with them. Um, just everybody, uh, Ryan Bender and all those guys came from Alaska. We, so we had a few of the Alaska crew down. And just seeing everybody, all the Canadians, huge representation from Canada, man. I think uh, the, the the country probably tipped a little bit because all the BC people were this way. The Albertas and the BCs and stuff were, were, were down in, in at the match. I mean, just a ton of them. And so that was really cool. And, and just all the, you know, the old faces, the new ones, the people we talked to, really great people, man. It was, it was a good time. Everybody got along, no drama. Uh, like I said, we just, uh, the, the, for me, the pet peeve is getting into safety, man. You just got to make sure you're watching that. You see what's going on and you're, you're aware. Look at your movement. You know what I mean? Look at where you are in relationship to other people around and what your muzzle's doing. It's super easy to sling it. Sling it on your back and you know you're good. Sling it on your front. You know you're good. You can pull it off, watch the muzzle pointing down, drop it where it needs to go. You never, ever flag anybody. And that's all, man. That's I just want to make sure that that everybody gets that safety point. Like I said, we're going to after action with Phil. Um, so you'll get a, a shooter's perspective this week. And uh, sorry for the delay, but uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I got to get to work and do some stuff because I'm behind as usual. But uh, I really appreciate it, and thanks a lot. We'll talk soon.